Our loving Father, we thank you so much that you give us your word so we can clearly know you and know how you look at us. And we pray, Father, that today you would give us the right perspective on Judgment Day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A newspaper reported that a manager of an electronics store in the US spotted a man stealing a laptop computer by shoving it down his jacket. When the thief was confronted, he knocked down an employee, pulled out a knife and ran out the door. When he got outside, he ran straight into four off-duty soldiers. These Marines stopped the man, but the criminal stabbed one of them in the back. When police and ambulance officers arrived, they transported the soldier to the hospital where he was treated for a minor cut in his back. The thief, however, was taken to hospital with two broken arms, a broken ankle, a broken leg, several missing teeth, broken ribs, multiple cuts, a broken nose and a broken jaw. And according to police reports, the thief sustained these injuries when he tripped over. I had to Google that to see if it was true, and it's grossly exaggerated, but, you know, why let the truth get in the way of a good story? But the reason that we laugh about this, the reason we have that response to this man's poor injuries, is because we feel that justice was served, that the bad guy who thought he could stand up there in front of the Marines and have a stab is like, really? (laughs) Uh, We like it. When justice is handed out, deep down, I think, when justice is served, we celebrate. Because when injustices happen, we cry out for justice. But when justice is served, we celebrate. And as we come today to this fourth talk, as we see the whole big picture of God's glorious judgment, I hope that this is going to be one of the emotions that we also will feel as we talk about Judgment Day. The first talk we looked at three weeks ago was all about God's glorious judgment in Eden, the creation of the world, and that tragic rebellion of the first humans. The second week, where we fast-forwarded to God's glorious judgment in Egypt, at the Exodus, where God mightily punished the Egyptians so that they would let my people go. Last week, we then had a remarkable opportunity to, to focus in on God's judgment At Easter, the whole idea of the cross of Christ and what that means for us, how the punishment we deserve was placed upon Jesus. And today, in the fourth of our talks, we're going to be looking at God's glorious judgment at the end time. We're looking at Judgment Day, the day when Jesus returns to judge, as we've said in the Creed, the living and the dead. That is the day when God's glory will be shown in all its fullness and where rebels will be brought to justice and his followers will be brought to heaven. Now, I don't know how you feel about Judgment Day. I wonder if it's something that you're looking forward to or I wonder if it's something that you fear. Do you worry about what will happen to you personally when you stand before God in judgment? Does the thought of God sending people to hell make you sad? Or might it also perhaps in some way bring you some satisfaction? 
When you hear someone sing or pray, come Lord Jesus, do you say, yeah, come Lord Jesus? Or do you say, well, come, but just not yet. Can you maybe not for a while, please, just a bit longer? I guess it all these things depends on what you think is going to happen when Jesus actually does return, what Judgment Day is actually going to be like and what it's going to do. But I think in all of this, no matter how we feel about it, we've got to acknowledge that Judgment Day is confronting. It's not a neutral concept that we just say, meh, whatever. Judgment Day is confronting. And if we want to understand just what is happening in Judgment Day then it makes sense for us to look at the very end of the Bible. But actually, it makes even more sense to go back a bit and see in the Isaiah's prophecy where he talks quite a bit about the judgment of God. In the final chapter of Isaiah, there's a section all about God's judgment, that the words of which will ring throughout the whole of the New Testament at various places. But to get the context, Isaiah is the book where we see him completely nail it when it comes to the prophecy of what is going to happen when God sends his servant. Um, It's the one where it says, We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then in that same bit, when he sees Isaiah 53, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous or he will bear all his sins. The reason I talk about that bit that was fulfilled in Jesus is just to say he completely got that bit right. And it's fascinating to read Isaiah 53 to see how many things are ticked off as we understand what happened with Jesus. Well, fast forward from 53 to 66, and we see here that not only did Isaiah prophesy about the sacrifice of Christ as we saw there in Isaiah 53, where Isaiah prophesied about the sacrifice of Christ, we also see that he will talk about what God will do at the end of time. Isaiah 66, verse 12, this is what the Lord says, I will give Jerusalem a river of peace and prosperity. The wealth of the nations will flow to her. Her children will be nursed at her breasts, carried in her arms and held on her lap. I will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. Does that kind of ring a bell? It sounds just like the thing that Jesus said as he looked at Jerusalem. Anyway, after that, it talks specifically about the final judgment that is to come, verses 14 to 16. It says, When you see these things, your heart will rejoice. You will flourish like the grass. Everyone will see the Lord's hand of blessing on his servants and his anger against his enemies. See, the Lord is coming with fire, and his swift chariots roar like a whirlwind. He will bring judgment with the fury of his anger and the flaming fire of his hot rebuke. The Lord will punish the world by fire and by his sword. He will judge the earth, and many will be killed by him. When the Lord returns, the Lord will show his anger. The Lord will show his anger when he returns. We will see his fury. We'll see his anger. We'll see his rebuke. We'll see his punishment. And all of this will happen as he judges the earth. And with that, we see these final words in the prophecy of Isaiah, verses 22 to 24. 
As surely as my new heavens and earth will remain, so will you always be my people with a name that will never disappear, says the Lord. All humanity will come to worship me from week to week and from month to month. And as they go out, they will see the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me. For the worms that devour them will never die, and the fire that burns them will never go out. All who pass by will view them with utter horror. This is Judgment Day. And from it, God's, in, God's, people, God's people will experience eternal life in the new heavens and earth. And, and I cannot wait for that day. But at the same time, God's enemies will experience everlasting hell, a fire that will never be quenched. As we've looked at God's judgment over the last few weeks, I've often asked you how you feel about God's judgment. And I hope you realize that as I've been asking you, I've also been asking myself. It's been a bit of a time of self-reflection in all of this. Because as we talk about God's judgment, I, I think we sort of think, look, it's not really the, his best-looking side. Let's talk more about his love than his judgment. Uh, let's talk about more about happy days of, of the birth of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus rather than maybe the, the judgment day of Jesus. Let's talk that down a little bit more. But I hope that as you've come on this journey with me, you've seen that God's judgment is glorious. It is a great thing and it's something we need to know and we need to love and we need to share. What do you actually think about that day, though? What do you think the day is going to be like? Because surely you've, you've got some picture of it, probably from something in Hollywood, I expect. Or, or maybe because of Judgment Day, you think of this image that we've had on our screen as the theme slide, this idea of a courtroom. Now, I think there's a point where that actually is a, as an act, well, semi-accurate kind of picture of what Judgment Day is going to be like. But there is something wrong with that view. And that is that in a courtroom, the judge will sit down and with the help of the jurors will weigh up the evidence and then decide if a person is guilty or not. And then they will go into sentencing and they'll say, oh, we're sentencing you to 10 years imprisonment or $1,000 fine or whatever it is. A thousand years is a really long time. You see, Judgment Day for us is this idea about weighing up and working out a verdict. But that's not like that with God and not like that with Judgment Day because God already knows who is guilty and innocent. It's not like he's going to get there to Judgment Day and say, well, I've got a few billion people I've got to work through and work out whether they're guilty or not. He's like, he already knows. It's already sorted. See, because God has chosen his people before the creation of the world to be adopted as his sons and daughters. And in this wonderful picture, Jesus said in John 10, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. I love that. No one's going to snatch me away from God's hand, from away from the shepherd, kind of like some sort of sheep thief. You know, I'm not going to be stolen. And nor will you if you are with the shepherd of Christ. And we know this because John 3.16, this is how we, God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And two verses later about judgment, we read that there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. 
The judgment has already happened in that sense. The, the verdict is already clear. But with all of this, as you think about Judgment Day, be very clear that if you believe in Jesus, you'll be safe. Believe in Jesus and you are safe already right now. You don't need to fear Judgment Day in that sense. If you have come to the Good Shepherd and said, Jesus, will you be my shepherd? And he'll say, yes, you are my sheep. I am your shepherd. And this is a great comfort to know that he will hold you tightly as your shepherd for eternity. So what then is the purpose of Judgment Day? He's already worked it out, who's in and who's not. Well, Judgment Day is about declaring the judgment. It's about letting everybody know the judgment. It's about showing everyone in the universe the good and glorious judgment of God. That is the main reason for this. It's to show God's glory. I'm going to read a bit from Revelation today. Uh, Revelation chapter 15 gives us this picture of Judgment Day where they sing the song of Moses and the Lamb saying, Great and marvellous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the Nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. That is the number one thing about Judgment Day, when God's glorious judgment is finally revealed to everybody. Everybody, everyone will see that God is wonderful. Everyone will see that he is holy and everyone will know that he is Lord. Are you looking forward to that day? I I am. I can't wait for the day when all of the people who've turned their noses up at God and have lived like he like they've just trashed the place and ignored him completely. And finally it is very clear that he is Lord. As I was preparing this, there was a an image came to my mind of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Uh, If you know the story, you you know that it's a whole uh, kind of a a, a parable in a sense of the death of the life and death of Jesus. And Aslan, the lion, is Jesus. Anyway, there's a scene where, where Aslan gives himself to be sacrificed. And Aslan is there all powerful and beautiful with his glorious mane, And he subjects himself to the torture and the sacrifice of all the people there who want to bring him down. And what do they do? They start cutting his mane off. It's like, oh, that was quite a moving moment. And then he he could just roar and kill them all, but instead he subjected himself to it. And he lay there on the stone table and they tied it up with rope. And when you see that scene, I hope you say, Come on, Aslan, I want a day when you're going to stand up again and roar and everyone will see you even greater than you were before. That is the kind of feeling we should have as we await for the return of Christ. Now, the good news is, like, like just I've slightly mixed metaphors because obviously Aslan dies and he comes back to life and the resurrection happens there and that's happened 2,000 years ago. But there's a point where as we see the glorified Aslan, as we see the glorified Christ, uh, we're waiting for everyone to see that and that will happen at the time when Jesus returns. And that is why we long for Judgment Day. 
We long for this picture from Philippians 2 about the risen Christ. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue can declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is what we long to see, the glory of Jesus And we long for Jesus to receive all that glory when he returns. That's what I'm looking forward to. I can't wait. We read more about that in 2 Thessalonians. In chapter 1, verse 10, it says that when he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe. And this includes you, Thessalonians, for you believed what we told you about him. Uh, This includes you, from Jamboree, if you believe what the apostles have told us about Jesus, the gospel. But as God's judgments revealed to the universe, it's also going to be a day, secondly, when each person's punishment or reward will be shown. So the first thing is it's going to be the glory of God that's going to be revealed. Secondly, it's going to be judgment and reward is going to be shown. Remember, though, that if you're one of Jesus' sheep, you don't need to worry about that day. Because Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You're not going to turn up to the judge on judgment day and he's going to say, oh, you are guilty. No, you know already, spoiler alert, you are already innocent in God's sight, right? But nonetheless, all our deeds will be judged by Jesus. Read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in the earthly body. We will be judged for what we've done. And also from Revelation 20, we read, verse 12, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Uh, Make no mistake, all our actions will be judged. And I find that quite sobering, because all the things that I've thought in my mind, that I've done in secret, all of those are going to be revealed. And that's judgment day. But... Not only will the bad ones be noticed, the good ones will also be noticed. So in Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you've worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. On that day of judgment, God's precious children, we who are his sheep, we will have our actions revealed to the judge, to Jesus. But it will happen... Our actions will be revealed as people who are not condemned. You've got to get this idea. We will have our actions revealed as innocent people. I've enjoyed reading this book, The Bible and the Future. It's quite a heavy book, all about eschatology, the last things, and, uh, but it's terrific. And I was reading up on this during the week, all about what this guy said about Judgment Day, and said some terrific things. I want to read out to you a paragraph, because I think he really nails what this is like to have innocent people judged. Have a listen. He says this. The failures and shortcomings of such believers, therefore, will enter into the picture on the day of judgment. But, and this is the important point, 
the sins and shortcomings of believers will be revealed in the judgment as forgiven sins whose guilt has been totally covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, as was said, believers have nothing to fear from the judgment. Though the realisation that they will have to give an account of everything they've done, said and thought should be for them a constant incentive to diligent fighting against sin, conscientious Christian service and consecrated living. There's a couple of things he says there, but one of them that's very important is this. Our sins will be revealed as forgiven sins. It's kind of like I stand up there before the judge and he's opening up the book and he gets to J for Jody. It's like, oh, this is a big book. And he pulls it out and he says, oh, there was that time you lost your temper with your kids. I said, which one? Oh, that one. He pulls it out and says, oh, it's forgiven though. Now it's there, but it's forgiven. Wow, what did I do to deserve that? Nothing. It's because you are justified in my sight because of the Lamb's death on your behalf. And one by one it goes through them. And as this quote says here, we don't need to fear that day, but there's a bit where you kind of think, oh, maybe if I had have lost my temper a few less times with my kids, then I, it'd be a shorter session. I can get to heaven a bit faster. But there's a, there's a, we actually we have all those things brought out before us, and that should... That should remind us that we need to live, that we'll give an account for everything. You know, Jesus gave that parable of the talents to remind us that we need to be faithful with the gifts and resources he's given us. And that's important because they will be judged. So don't waste your life. Don't think that just because you're saved by Jesus as you are, that you could just live the rest of your life like it doesn't matter. Because time is short and what God has given you is precious. He's given you time. He's given you abilities. He's given you money. He's given you relationship. He's given you resources, all of which we can use for his glory. And so as we think about this final day of judgment, I think it's a reminder for us to use our gifts for his glory. Use our gifts for his glory because it will be noticed. It will be seen. But the other thing that will be revealed on that day will be the punishment for the people who rejected Jesus as Lord. This is the day when everybody will see what happens when a person has rejected Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, I died for you. And they say, no, I reject you. What will happen to those people? Well, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we have one of the many stark pictures of what that judgment day will be like. Verses 7 and 8. God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. When Jesus appears from heaven, he will bring judgment on those who don't know God and who have refused to believe Jesus' gospel. That is what will happen on Judgment Day. And the result of that disobedience, the next verse, is that they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. 
Two key words there. Do you see them? Eternal and forever. Make no mistake. Those who reject Jesus will be punished forever. This is hard to get our heads around, I've got to say. When we read the Bible, however, it is very, very clear that it's forever. It is eternal. The smoke never goes out. But part of us just thinks, oh, that's just so hard to get our heads around. But maybe it's because we don't fully understand the glory of God. And in, verse four, in chapter 14 of Revelation, it follows up by saying this in verse 11, that the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. And they will have no relief day or night. For they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. They have rebelled against Jesus and rejected him and they will be punished forever. This is not just some sort of medieval concept that we've now grown out of. This is the timeless word of God that is true about the future. And we need to soberly reflect upon it for the world in which we live. Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone, you know. When he talked about the rich man and Lazarus, you probably know the story. This was said, verse 24 of Luke 16, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. Friends, hell is real and it is shocking and we need to warn people about hell. You can't be neutral about hell. You can't be neutral about God's judgment. It's real. It's a thing. And in a sense, this should motivate us to evangelism, to tell our friends, our family, the people we know in the club, in the school, and wherever it is, the workplace, that, you know, there's something coming and I want you to be ready for it because you can avoid it. But when's it going to actually happen? Well, it's going to happen soon. Uh, Jesus said three times in the very last chapter of the Bible, he says, Behold, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. I am coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. And I'm excited about that. Because I tell you what, when I see the news from this last week and I see the mess of this world, I really want it to stop. I hope you do as well. There's some horrible news this last week. And I just get sick of it, really. I think, Lord, how much longer? Jesus, come soon. And I can't wait for a time when there will be no more domestic abuse, when there will be no more tragedy when accidents happen, no more cancer, no more violence, no more disasters, no more tyrants, no more murders. I can't wait till everyone on this earth will say, Jesus is Lord. When the sin that I have to deal with on a daily basis, that will no longer be there to tempt me. I can't wait when Jesus returns. But at the same time, I kind of hope he waits just a little bit longer. (laughs) Just a little bit longer. Now, Is it okay for us to think that way? I think it is. 2 Peter 3.15 says, Remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So I kind of hope that he'll give us a bit longer so that we can share the good news of Jesus with a few more people in Jamboree. I kind of hope that 
that the family members that I have who have rejected Jesus, that that in the next little while I might be able to, you know, as we're having Christmas lunch or something like that, have them say, you know, I Jody, I feel it's time for me to to have what you've got. Tell me, what do I need to do to be saved? I, I'm I'm Jesus. Can you just wait a bit? I want to have that chat. His patience gives people time to be saved. But don't think that his, you know, this, this patience is something that is a blessing to us. It is a blessing to us as we long to see justice. We also long to see this mercy grow and grow and grow. But, you know, we can easily think that his return is years and years and years away. Maybe you think, well, it's been 2,000 years, and I tell you what, if I was waiting by the letterbox for someone to deliver something for 2,000 years, I'd probably give up. Feels like that sometimes. But 2,000 years, well, 2 Peter 3, 7 says uh, the same word, the, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. The day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. So he hasn't forgotten. Don't worry about that. Yes, it's been nearly 2,000 years, but that's like a day or two. We've all waited longer than two days for a parcel, haven't we? Sometimes longer. He could come at any time. A thousand years is just a day or two for him. But he's waiting for a good reason. There's a second time it says it here. In 2 Peter. He says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. You could just see the Lord looking down on the world, saying, Oh, I'm sick of this. Let's bring it on. But instead, he says, No, not yet. Just a little bit longer. And that is the situation we're in here. And every day we wait, it's another day closer to the day that he will return. But we don't know when it's coming. I mean, it'd be fascinating to know, to be able to tell the signs. But in the same passage, it says, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. The point of all of this is it's going to be a big surprise to us. It's not like we're sort of thinking, oh, I've got my, in my diary on uh, Tuesday evening. Uh, there's going to be a thief that's going to come, and I know that. I'm going to pop down to the shops and get something, and, and I'll come back and he'll have nicked my VCR. Not that we have VCRs anymore, but you know what I mean. It's kind of like, it's just a surprise. It's like we don't know when it's happening. It's like, wow, I left this place in a mess. Oh, messier than normal. Looks like all our jewellery's gone. We don't expect a thief. And that same way of thinking leads us to know that we can't pick the timing. Any time I'll be like, whoa, didn't, well, I knew it was coming, but wow, here it is. You see, the Bible talks about signs of the end time, and I think it's a reminder now that we're in the end times. We've, we see natural disasters, and we have for hundreds and hundreds of years. There have been wars. There's been a few of them in history. There's been a whole string of evil dictators. I mean, all of this stuff that the Bible talks about as being signs of the end time have been happening every decade, in fact, every year since Jesus ascended into heaven. So all of this reminds us that the world we live in needs judgment and it is coming soon and it will be unexpected and it will be massive. 
and everything will be destroyed and a new heavens and earth will be established. And the Lord Jesus will receive all the glory for that. And with that, friends, I hope that you are hungry for heaven, that you long for heaven, that you long for a day when the brokenness of this creation can be replaced with the new heavens and earth. When the relationships in your family, with your friends, with your employer, employees, with the people you have contact with and the neighbours and everyone else, those damaged, painful relationships will be finished. The pain will be over. When we'll no longer have the threat of fire and drought and cyclones, you name it, will be gone. I hope you long for that day, that you're hungry for heaven. But especially when all those people who laugh at Jesus, who bully him, who tease him, who do all these things that we would not expect, we would not allow anyone else to do to anybody else in this world, they do to our Lord. And I hope that makes you hungry for a time when it'll be enough. But in the meantime, how should we live then? Should we just sort of go and live in a bunker somewhere and cut ourselves off from what? No, actually. 2 Peter goes on to say this, verse 11, that since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. And on that day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. We look forward to the new world. We look forward living as we live holy lives, godly lives, pure lives, blameless lives, living in the present like we'll live in the future. Living on earth as we will in heaven and praying that our godly lives will point others to know our God so that judgment day for them will be a day that they will be alongside us rejoicing. See, friends, God's judgment is glorious. And we've seen that in this journey, I trust. His judgment is glorious because it shows that evil will not win. And it shows that wonder of his grace. And it shows the power of the cross. And with this, we hunger for the day when Jesus finally returns to judge the nations with justice and glory. As we read in Revelation 19, Praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. Praise the Lord. The smoke from that city ascends forever and ever. Praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. And let us give honour. To him. Amen.